Hello and welcome. My name is Norma Columbus. Today's episode is called Bowsight, a Saskatchewan Country School. Thank you for listening. The district of Damore. In the early 1900s, my maternal grandfather immigrated to Canada from Normandy, France. He worked in Montreal, Quebec, and in Henryburg, Leask, and Marsland, Saskatchewan. When he met and married my grandmother in 1914, while living in Leask, there were 65 residents. Initially, the government divided the province into many districts. Eventually, those districts were combined into larger municipalities. My grandparents wanted to give farming a try, so in the early 1920s, they moved their young family to a homestead in the Demore district, 16 miles west of Leask. The district of Moore opened to homesteaders in 1903. The community consisted mainly of French-speaking Catholic families. The landscape consisted of rolling hills, lakes, and forests. Over time, homesteaders cleared areas for farmland. It was there on the family farm that Mom was born in the winter of 1929. Eventually, 11 children completed the family, Mom being the fifth youngest. Sadly, they suffered the loss of a daughter in infancy. The beginnings. A school board formed in 1916 worked diligently to help the people of the district realize their dream of a school. Constructed in 1916 on two and a half acres of donated land, it was a mile from the farm where mom grew up. The school officially opened in April of 1917. Board members chose the name Beausite, which originated from two French words meaning a beautiful site. Throughout the early 1900s, country schools popped up throughout Saskatchewan, many of which were only five miles apart. On the property, there was a one-room school, a rough playground area, and a barn. A fire guard was plowed to protect the school. An older student would arrive early to build a fire in the pot-bellied stove. The light came from a bank of windows. If it was hot, they lowered the blinds to keep the room cool. The library consisted of a couple of shelves of books. In 1951, the purchase of a set of encyclopedias was a big event. On the porch sat a bucket of drinking water hauled from a nearby farm with a worn communal dipper hanging off the side. The water often froze in the winter. It was not easy for the school board to find teachers that could speak French and wanted to live in a remote area. At times, the demand for teachers outweighed the pool of qualified candidates, so teachers were hired without completing their training. The teacher boarded with a local family, paying $20 a month in the 1940s. This included a room, meals, lunch, and transportation to work by horse and buggy or caboose. They tended to stay only one or two years before moving on. Some got married, others found employment elsewhere, or left because of the isolation. The number of teaching days in the school year was about 20 days longer than it is today. Classes were offered to students in grades 1 through 8. In the early years, grade 9 was completed at home by correspondence. Later, it was offered at the school. As was the case for many country schools at the time, there were always financial struggles. The school budget was made up of government funding and taxes collected from the residents of the district. 
The school survived through two world wars and the Spanish flu epidemic when it was closed for three months. The Great Depression of the 1930s left the board no choice but to cut the teacher's salary from $80 to $50 a month. In 1927, the school briefly shut down so the students could receive the newly developed vaccine to prevent the spread of diphtheria. What was the life of a student like? In 1935, at the age of six, mom began attending Bowside School. She was shy and spoke only French, but quickly mastered English, learning without knowing as children do. Mom walked to school with her older siblings, She didn't think much about having to walk, as she had two feet like everyone else. She took pride in her excellent attendance, and when the teacher praised her in front of the class, she was elated. Eighty-five years later, she still remembers receiving those words of encouragement. This goes to show that we should never underestimate the lasting impression words can have. When Mom told me about the walking to school in the winter, I imagined how cold and windy it was out there on the prairie. She said it wasn't that bad because there was more bush then for shelter. On summer days, the kids ate wild berries on the way home from school. When they got home, golden loaves of freshly baked bread sat cooling on the kitchen table. Mom had a pair of little red mittens. Her dad had purchased them for 10 cents and gave them to her as a gift. The mittens were thin and not meant for frigid days. When she got the mittens, she wasn't old enough to go to school, but her older sister desperately wanted to be the first to wear the little mittens, despite being told it was too cold. She couldn't resist and wore the mittens anyway. As a result, she suffered frostbite on her hands. They were pretty sore for a while, but she recovered nicely. Every time we reminisce about the perils they faced walking to school, Mom tells a story of her sister and the little red mittens. It is one of those, if you don't listen, you feel life lessons. She carried her lunch, which consisted of a peanut butter, cheese, or ground meat sandwich, and a cookie in a recycled syrup pail. The sandwiches were placed directly in the pail, unwrapped. Fruit was included if there was some available from the farm. Mom recounted, being sent outside to wash her hands in a snowbank before eating lunch. She wore dresses to school year-round. In winter, wool socks and a long coat protected her legs, and slip-on rubber boots with extra insoles covered her feet. Students sat in one-piece wooden desks, group by grade. Teaching of courses was primarily in English. Students also received one hour of French instruction daily, plus catechism lessons. Mom's favorite subjects were reading and science. Summer activities during recess consisted of ball games and swinging on the only piece of playground equipment they had, a swing set. In the winter, as many kids as possible piled on the donated homemade toboggans and slid down the hill by the school. According to Mom, the hill was sharp, meaning you got to the bottom very fast. Students made a skating rink on the slough at the bottom of the hill running there at recess to play hockey. They kept the rink clean with homemade scrapers and shovels dragged to school from home. Some kids had skates, others went on the ice with their boots. It didn't matter, everyone played. Indentations carved into the snowbanks at either end of the slough served as nets. 
they used the few well-worn hockey sticks they stowed in the barn. If a fight broke out during a hockey game, the other kids broke it up and those involved sat on the snowbank to cool off. When the weather was nice, the teacher joined the kids outside for recess. Otherwise, she kept a watchful eye from the window, coming out to ring the handbell to signal the end of recess. When they were settled back in class, the teacher would read to them. The students rested their heads on their desks. Some fell asleep. On occasion, Grandpa used a truck to take students on field trips. These excursions included traveling to other country schools for ball games. I commented to Mom how precarious kids riding in the back of a truck seemed. I naively thought that this safety breach would be a big deal. I asked what happened if someone fell out of the truck box. She responded that they simply stopped, picked them up, and kept going. That made me laugh out loud. Simpler times indeed. Behavior issues consisted of the odd practical joke like locking the teacher in the outhouse or putting a dead snake on her desk. With many siblings attending the same one-room school, there wasn't much hope that your parents wouldn't learn about your transgressions. For the most part, kids knew if they behaved or misbehaved at school, their parents would get wind of it and punishment would be doled out at home as well as at school. The use of a strap to discipline a student was often as traumatic for the teacher as it was for the student. Concerns regarding behavior were communicated to parents on report cards. Having a school to attend was considered a privilege. The people of the district were proud of their school. If your child misbehaved, it reflected poorly on you as a parent. The school was the center of the community. It was used for socials, dances, picnics, and card parties. Local musicians provided music for dances with guitars, violins, and fiddles. To light the event, those attending would bring coal oil lanterns from home. A simple lunch was served. The lunch wasn't the main focus of the evening, though, as everyone's attention was on who else was there. Times change. Bowside School became part of the Blaine Lake School Unit in 1946. In 1954, the original school was designated as a teacher's and a new, larger building was moved in to use as a school. Enrollment at the school started at 28 students, spiked at almost 50, and eventually dwindled to 14 when it closed in 1963. From that point on, students received bus service to school in Leask. Mom's family has a deep connection Demore District and Bowside School. My grandfather, George Brad, a distinguished and intelligent man, served several terms as school trustee and as secretary treasurer for many years. Other family members also served as trustees or teachers. Even though I have lived here my entire life, researching this story has given me a new appreciation for the area, its people, past and present. Some lasting impressions Kids were not continuously supervised. They learned to solve problems on their own. There was no playground equipment other than a swing set. They played on what nature provided, trees, hills, and sloughs. Interestingly, schools today have moved towards a greater focus on outdoor learning. Teachers being hired to start work at remote schools after attending a few months of college. Grandpa and his truck filled with kids. 
the image of kids blasting down the hill on toboggans and mom in her rubber boots. No wonder she thought the school hill was sharp. The teacher standing on the school step ringing the handbell, washing their hands in a snowbank. By the way, hand sanitizer wasn't invented until 1980. The sharing of the drinking water dipper. The set of encyclopedias. I remember my parents buying a set of encyclopedias for us to use at home from a traveling salesman. As we waited, as we await the development of a coronavirus vaccine, one still used today, was developed and given to the students to prevent further spread of diphtheria. In conclusion, mom commented that in the 30s and 40s, one adapted to hardship quickly and silently. That statement made me pause and think about how society views and deals with life's difficulties today. The Bowside School buildings are long gone, repurposed to other locations. A commemorative sign and the stories passed on by those who taught and attended there preserve its rightful place in history.